Blog Talk Radio. Last week was a little nuts. 
Um, I was running around like a crazy person. We had uh, Daryl Davidson, who is the executive director of the AUVSI Foundation out here to present again at the Silicon Valley AUVSI chapter meeting, which, by the way, again, with the barn burner. I wish we could get more people in on this. We had this. 25 people there. We spoke to uh, Bryant Walker Smith was there and spoke also. Great exchange of ideas. He went into um, a little bit more detail about the, the driverless car or self-driving vehicles and product liability. And I think that really overlaid into some of the uh, commercial, let's say, considerations for um, people that are going to sell products on the commercial market. Uh, that was pretty good. And then uh, everybody sidebarred, and we hung out for till 9 o'clock or later. And usually when, when I found most of these meetings are over, it's all taillights and tires squealing out in the parking lot, but not the case here. Like a mini symposium. Really good. Me and uh, Daryl took a meeting with Chris Anderson, Do-It-Yourself Drones, Wired Magazine, and a tour of the facility, including Reddit.com and some scenes inside the shadowy danger room. And uh, it was kind of funny. The tour included some dot-com staple holdovers, like the you can't have, um, you know, an IT or <laughs> technology business that doesn't have a ping-pong table and a kegmeister. Those are the staples. you got to have that. <laughs> and we also enjoyed a great conversation. It was good to see Chris again. A few years back, we did a Wired Science episode together. Uh, there was a couple of us out there, and uh, me and uh, Jeff Johnson and Stuart Long talk about uh, capturing the first aerial photography or aerial photo with an iPhone and how we employed the Carl's Jr. method. And I believe that's on the uh, SUAS News YouTube channel, and you can go over there and check it out. It's kind of kind of funny. The, uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about today was the this is the kickoff of the symposium season and uh, RPA 2012 in Paris is in full swing as we speak. Formerly that show was called UAS uh, 2011. I was at that. I, I wrote a, a roundup uh, article for that last year that you can you can find in the archives at SUS News. Anyway, the nomenclature has changed because ICAO has adopted RPA, a remotely piloted aircraft. And uh, for those of you that haven't attended uh, Peter von Blyenberg's show, uh, I would suggest that you make it sort of a, a UAS lifetime goal or maybe even a Hajj, but at least get over there once and check it out. It is the premier airspace integration symposium top-tier people from companies and civil aviation authorities from around the globe. Uh, Peter puts on an excellent, straightforward affair with the best food and spirits, hands down. And I will say that um, at his, his uh, symposium, uh, you are able to ask very pointy questions, which, believe it or not, I have done. And I have uh, made more than one a representative from the uh, FAA frustrated. And there's pictures of that somewhere of me and Bruce Tarbert up on stage. <laughs> and everybody's a little a little out under the collar. But anyway, it's, it's all fun and games. And then after that, we've got the AUVSI Unmanned Systems North America show in sunny Las Vegas, August 6th through the 9th. 
And I, and I will say that, uh, you know, I used to live in Vegas for a while, believe it or not. I went there to, you know, straighten up <laughs> in my teens. I think it was in my late teens. Anyway, uh, and I was thinking maybe they picked uh, that venue in Vegas in, in August if they might want to set up some sort of OES simulator in the back. You get like 100 yards of sand, bring it in, fill up the HESCO, get some porta potties, and uh, give everybody that deployed experience. Anyway, I will be there, so definitely come and say hi. Um, let's talk. I usually don't make it through the the whole hall. It takes me a little while because I know so many people. But uh, I, I, if you're out there and you spot me, I'd definitely like to, you to come over, say hello, introduce yourself, let's talk. And that is the end of the first segment, and we'll be moving into uh, the next segment. And today's guest is... Um, Andrea Kay from the Robotics Launchpad, and uh, Andrea, Andra, I'm sorry, produced a few uh, recent robotics events in Silicon Valley, and uh, I met her at the Robotics Block Party, and uh, that was a real success. And there was a bunch of folks at that event that I got to meet, and um, it was really a great, great time, and uh, I wanted to bring her on today, and I wanted her to kind of talk about what she does. Uh, Andre, are you there? Uh, hi, Patrick. Uh, thank you very hey. much for inviting me onto the podcast. Hey, we're delighted. Yes, I can hear you. Okay. I, uh, I'm delighted to have you here. Um, some people, you know, again, we're, we're mainly focused on unmanned aircraft systems, but, uh, you know, as I tell everybody, most of these uh, technologies, I think, uh, overlap each other. And I definitely subscribe to a theory where I see a, a day where uh, you have a, a control station and you have a guy or a girl sitting in there and they're controlling flying vehicles and uh, ground vehicles and uh, also, you know, uh, surface and, and ROVs or whatever. So I think all of this stuff kind of overlays. I find it absolutely uh, amazing. And uh, so I wanted to kind of... Um, let's say, impart upon the listener some of the stuff that I've seen from what you produce. So maybe you can uh, tell the listeners about yourself and a little bit about like how you got into this and what what your interests are and where they lay. Uh, thanks, Patrick. Uh, I do agree with you. I think robotics is a whole ecosystem. And whether it's at the control end or whether it's at the research end, there isn't a clear separation necessarily between what sort of robotic system you're working on. I mean, if you're working in vision, for example, that's applicable in so many different areas. And mm -hmm. I'm interested in looking at the whole ecosystem. I've always been a geek. I've, I grew up in a physics lab practically playing with um, rockets and punch card computers and all of that kind of good geeky stuff. But I did uh, digress into filmmaking while I was younger and other more... Um, <laughs> Uh, and other areas, which I think are still quite technological. But my deep interest has been in how society shapes technology, not just how technology shapes society, and looking at the, the co-shaping relationships there. So recently I went back and did an advanced research degree in the shaping of technology and technology shaping society, which specifically for me was in human-robot culture. And... We actually moved here from Australia while I was still finishing my thesis, and I didn't really know 
what I was going to do at the end of it. I kind of assumed that I would roll on into um, another academic institution, but I was too busy with the thesis to think about it uh, terribly. I just knew that if I moved anywhere in America, I thought that Silicon Valley was definitely the place that I'd, I wanted to be, that it was such an incredible cauldron of creativity and technology. And I, I do believe this region has the best that America has to offer in those areas. And I think it has a lot to do with the creative culture here. And I, I was very interested in exploring how that um, creativity and at times anarchy uh, and the very... Um, high growth internet technology sector, how they all played together with robotics. And I think Robot Launchpad has come about realizing that there aren't always clear paths. Uh, to an extent, robotics is siloed or insulated from a lot of the other activities. And that can include access to funding and um, joining in on the high growth of the internet and mobile technologies. And now that smartphones are becoming more integral to robotics, I think that the time is definitely right for robotics to be leveraging a lot of what the um, Silicon Valley ecosystem for startups has to offer. I, you know, I, you're, you're, you know, the evangelism thing is kind of funny. I always get a little chuckle out of that. But you know what? <laughs> you're preaching to the choir over here. I. Uh, Everything you said, it resonates with me. I, I will say, you know, I, I try to, um, the Silicon Valley thing is kind of funny, and, and you actually coming from a, you know, different country and noticing all of those those traits of the people and culture in Silicon Valley is definitely something a little bit different. And uh, when I work in other states, people are like, oh, California, you're a bunch of weirdos, blah, blah, blah. But I do think... And that, that, that incubator or the ecosystem that you were talking about in Silicon Valley is different. Uh, it's definitely a different uh, school of thought. There are some really uh, uh, highly educated folks down there. Everybody's got a PhD. Just, uh, it blows me away. And, uh, you know, but the, the way people think are really different. And I think that that is uh, that, that incubator of creativity. It is definitely a different school of thought. And, uh, and and kind of the stuff that you've done, I've I've learned that you know like engineers want to engineer, and scientists want to do research, and um, you know it's it's kind of hard to get those people and funnel them into uh, a business type of climate because they're they're more into uh, making stuff work or developing stuff. Did you find that in in <laughs> down there? I definitely agree with you on that. But I think one of the answers is to, rather than push people out of their comfort zone so much as also set up the ability to drag people in. I think there are a lot of people, uh, a lot of business people, uh, designers, product development people who don't quite grasp the possibilities with robotics. And mm -hmm. I do see this as being a communication channel. It's not, robotic, Robot Launchpad can help move robotics, uh, roboticists and engineers who are interested in developing startups, we can help that pathway, but we are also able to provide, it's a two-way street, a pathway for people who are interested in developing businesses to do that with robotics. You know, and, and while you're on that subject, what I'd like you to do, if you could, for the uh, listeners, is could you uh, mention your uh, website, please? 
Yes, Robot Launchpad website is robotlaunch.com. So that's R-O-B-O-T-L-A-U-N-C-H.com. And we've got a newsletter that you can sign up for, which talks about some of the events that we have coming up, like the Homebrew and Robot Launchpad potluck at Google later on in June, and possibly an IPN Robotics talk that Ryan Kahlo from the Center of Internet and Society is um, organizing at the moment with details to be confirmed later. And I've just announced the Robot Launchpad Grand Challenge, which captures some of the themes we've just talked about. I mean, really, why should DARPA have all the fun? Now, the You're Robot killing Launchpad me over here. Grand Challenge says, take an existing robot platform and turn that into a robot business. And I suggest going with an autonomous mobile platform like the Adept mobile platform, but not limited to that, or a semi-autonomous drone like the Parrot AR drone, but not limited to that. Something that can be easily controlled through an iPad or um, touch screen or smartphone interface, not, not just a computer interface, and something where the robotics is a solved problem. Mine, right. Largely a solved problem. The issue is, uh, how do you ex how do you do something new with with a system that's already developed? And I think there is a huge potential in robotics for creative use of robotics technology that has already been developed. And I don't mm -hmm. think that there is enough time and energy put into developing businesses. And I think it's quite safe to say that you'll get a million dollars if you succeed in one of these grand challenges because you'll earn it. You will create a business that right. earns revenue. And you well, could quite probably create a business that earns a lot more than a million. There are a lot of ideas, but people need to do the next step and execute on them. They need to find a particular market segment look at exactly how to customize these existing robots to service that market segment and develop a business model around that so that you're generating revenue. And uh, I think robotics is ripe for a service industry and for repurposing existing robot platforms in creative fashions. And I'm happy to throw out ideas. I, well, I have heaps of ideas. And one of the ones I threw out a couple of years ago, I've just uh, seen in the news two days ago, it's, it's being rolled out in Australia. And I said, look, now that unmanned aerial vehicles are becoming cheap as chips, it's not just, well, comparatively speaking, it's not just a taco copter. And I don't believe the taco copter idea had been unveiled at that time. I, it's what are the other areas that might be small compared to, say, a large-scale mining or manufacturing purpose, but there are other niche areas where you can suddenly enable vision or communication in an area where people haven't gone, where there is a really high value in having that. And I said, well, Australians, we love the surf. Surf lifesaving is an iconic part of Australian culture. What mm -hmm. if you were able to send the drones out as well as the surf lifesavers on the jet skis? And I realized, uh, I saw the news yesterday, and drones are about to play a key part in surf safety in Australia with a partnership with the Surf Life Saving Association of Australia. And I'm just searching. And, uh, and they're running a trial now in Queensland. Yeah, I read that story on the, uh, the SUAS news. Those guys are on top of stuff. But, uh, you know, it also, there, there are a million uh, uses for unmanned aircraft. And I, I really, uh, you know, 
like you said, there's there's so many. And, you know, the funny thing is we're seeing a lot of stuff in the news where people are like, oh, we got this new use for unmanned aircraft. But uh, i got to be honest, before the regulations came, a lot of these things were already being done. But I do think that uh, we need to revisit that and focus, shift our money away from the, the bigger systems to systems that are, are made domestically from small businesses and doing these jobs where like you're helping people saving lives or growing food or whatever else. And hopefully I'm going to, uh, we're going to work with uh, some people and get that message out there. Yes. I, I think it's certainly one way to mobilize a large group of people in support of a technology that doesn't otherwise seem to have a positive impact on their lives. But if you start right. to play a part in water safety or um, other forms of safety, particularly that of children, then you've mm-hmm. suddenly got a huge uh, group of people that have a lot vested in seeing uh, legislations change. Right, absolutely. And, and you know, and I've tried to, as an advocate for the uh, technology, I mean, that's how I got into this deal with a uh, small business guy, heard that the feds were going to clamp down and was like, whoa, wait a minute. You know, that's not fair. We, you know, this technology can do a lot of things. And um, I got into it that way. And I will say just as the same as we find the uh, engineers who want to engineer and the scientists want to do research, they're not interested in advocating for themselves. A lot of people just sit back and figure, well, you know, we'll let, we'll let the, the DOD vendors are doing all the advocacy for us and spending all the money there. And, uh, you know, in my mind, and I don't want to get too far into the weeds on this, that notion is folly because these people are, are uh, building the regulations around their products and they don't care about the little person at all. That's, which is too bad um, because I do think that uh, the proliferation of this technology is more transformative than even the green technology. It's broadcast to a smaller group of people, but the technology that's out there today can be applied and start helping people in, in, in a bigger scale. And I think robotics too. One of, you know, one thing I wanted to, when you were talking about these contests, you know, it makes sense to me. And again, what you're talking about is great because, you know, when you talk about a competition, the most grueling competition of them all is business. And if you can, if you can build a product, <clears throat> bring it to market, and be successful, you know, you you, you really you've uh, you're a winner. And and it's hard to put that whole recipe together. And that's. You know, that's one thing where my hat's off to you uh, and what I saw at the robotics block party. You know, it's it's hard for me to to kind of describe that because, of course, it's theater of the mind. I don't, we're not doing video or whatever. But uh, if people were able to come to that and see the types of people that came there, I mean, the place was crawling with venture capital people who I had talked to and said, you know, we want to we want to fund these technologies. We want to fund uh, unmanned technologies, but we don't, uh, there's a little bit of a disconnect because we don't really understand what these people are trying to do. And and that's where I think you're coming in and and filling that gap. Is that a fair assessment? I I hope so. I certainly agree with you that this seems to be where the gap is. There are a lot of people doing research and engineering and doing a brilliant job. But I think to a large extent they are seeking their funding through different channels. It's it's probably more of a known path. And there are a lot of people that would like to grow robot businesses but are either not sufficiently aware of the robotics 
or not sufficiently aware of the business side. And I'm hoping that Robot Launchpad is sitting in the middle to facilitate the transfer of skills, technology, information, and funding. And I, I certainly think that Silicon Valley is the right place for this because we're building on such a deep and rich um, startup ecosystem. And I love the way you express that. Business is the biggest competition of all. It is easy to develop a product. It's, I have to say, compared to developing the business, I think developing the robot technology is actually easier. And I think a lot of people think it stops when you've developed a really great technology, that it somehow turns into a product, walks itself out of the building, gets itself funded, markets itself, creates distribution channels, and you know you don't have to worry about it after that. Uh, there is a well, huge amount involved there. There you go. You know, if you could make that whole uh, business process at man, you know, and I could just collect the check. I'm uh, I'm down for that, you know. Maybe we could have one of these uh, quadcopters deliver me a nice cold cider on the beach. Now, I do... Uh, well, the exciting, I will just say the exciting thing in making startups more uh, of an automated process is the infiltration of lean startup methodology in the last decade and changes around funding, which include the Jobs Act and crowdfunding. I think what mm. you're seeing is the breaking down of a few of the institutional walls and restrictions around getting companies off the ground and a round fail fast, move forward rapidly, uh, preventing a lot of expensive investment in businesses that aren't actually going to recoup. So investing in technology is becoming less risky than it was simply through lean startup methodology and some changes in the funding infrastructures. Well, and I would agree with that. I definitely think that uh, our society is bifurcated. And when I say that, I mean in the, the old school thinking of, of business and regulation and maybe even insurance. And then there are the, the younger people bringing in a uh, – whole different business mindset, kind of like what you just described. I will say that most people that I talk to, especially in the, the unmanned aircraft world, really don't have a grasp of what you're talking about. When and they, I talk to people, and, and they, they people are trying to recruit me for companies or whatever, and they say, well, my company, I make so much money on every copy. It's, it's you know, it's... Uh, yeah, I just can't believe how much I make. And I said, well, that's subjective because <clears throat> I can think of making a lot of money. I like that Bentley that, uh, what's her name, Victoria Beckham drives around. I, I could see myself in one of those. And that's a lot of money. <laughs> you know, no, well, you know, I've I've sold, you know, four planes this year and I make, you know, $8,000 a copy. It's like, you know, that's not really a lot of money when you think about, uh you know, you're competing against people who are willing to go places and do demonstrations for free. Uh, there's the, the show circuit, you know, the trade show circuit, and, and depending upon uh, what you have as the ground vehicle or an air vehicle, it might be Euro Satori, it might be Paris Air Show, Farnborough, Berlin, Singapore. Uh, and then there's the marketing and the advertising, and, you know, that could easily roll into several hundred thousand dollars a year. And I don't think anybody really thinks about that. And I'm not saying that every startup has got to think that big, but depending upon, let's say, throwing the dart at the dartboard of where you see your business, where you wanting to be, there are a lot of factors to think about. And do you, are you trying to, um, 
with the robotics launch, the, the, the launch pad, are you, are you trying to, let's say, educate people this way, or, or do you take a, a little bit of a different approach? I'm hoping to educate people around the pathway from technology to product. And those two things are not the same thing. One is something you build, and the other is something that is solving a problem for people that people mm -hmm. are going to use. Um, it's not a seamless transition. And I, I think that Lean Startup methodology might not be as useful as, as agile manufacturing for very, very high-end, expensive, complicated, long-build projects. But I'm very interested in the smaller end where there are consumer components, modular components that are already available, where your actual investment in building a technology is a lot smaller and ways of getting things more or less from your backyard out into the world. Uh, I think there's a lot that can be done in that space particularly. And I think the, um, the drones, the DIY drone movement has been wonderful in showing people uh, how a technology can get smaller, get more accessible, and get more excited, get more in people's faces. And, and I think Chris Anderson actually put the opinion, what will we do with quadrocopters when every kid at school has one? We just can't even exactly. think that. And right. I, that's true. Well, it, I, don't, I don't mean to cut you off, but we're down at 30 seconds before the show's over. And, uh, again, we covered a lot of uh, real estate. Great conversation, um, as always. Very interesting. I hope you come back to the next uh, Silicon Valley chapter meeting because uh, that was great. I hope you enjoyed that. I, I enjoyed having enjoyed. you on. It was wonderful. Thank well, you. I'm glad, and you're always welcome. Thanks for being on, and uh, I'll see you soon, and everyone else out there in the out there in the ether. Have a good week. We'll see you next week.